This is How I Built My Audience with Blake Immel. I'll start us off right here with Matt Conwell and... You might know him from Twitter. You might know him from LinkedIn. Probably more likely Twitter, I'm guessing, because you're like a little bit bigger on Twitter. But Mac, how are you doing? And also, what are you working on right now? What are you here to promote? How can you help people? Where can people find you? Well, uh, I appreciate you having me on. It's a pleasure. McKeever Conwell. If most people know me as Mac. If you follow me on Twitter, it's Mac the VC. Best place to find me is on Twitter at Mac Conwell, M-A-C-O-N-W-E-L-L. I am currently raising a venture fund, Rare Breed Ventures. Um, it's under 506C designation, so I can publicly talk about it. So if you are an accredited investor and you would like to be an LP in the fund, go to rarebreed.vc and click the button, become an LP. Our minimum uh, checks for investments are 10K, so feel free to, to go ahead and put some money into the fund. I, I promise you, I'm gonna make you more money. That's what I'm here to do. <laughs> and, and what about Rare Breed is different or what are you trying to do that's maybe different than the rest? of the other VCs out there. Yeah, so the thing that makes us different is our approach. We look to invest in companies primarily outside of the major tech hubs, so outside of Silicon Valley, New York, and Massachusetts. What many people don't know is that 75% of all venture fund goes to those three states. And of that, 70% of that goes to San, goes to California, right? Oh, so man. <laughs> trying to invest where others aren't. Also looking to do larger checks earlier. So we're a pre-seed to see venture fund but looking to do $250,000 checks at pre-seed, a lot larger than what you typically see at pre-seed. Mm -hmm. And we also do investing in not just software companies, but also physical products. But the physical products that we look to invest in are companies that um, are innovating in industries that have lacked innovation for 10 or more years. We have a little bit of a unique approach. Definitely. I think there are a lot of people that might might have gotten excited hearing that right now. You're probably going to get inside of DMs now <laughs> saying, hey, I want you to give me money. You're actually the first VC that I've had on the show. I've interviewed probably 25 to 30 people at this point. They've all just been audience builders, a lot of marketers, a lot of content creators. You're a little bit of that and a little bit of VC all rolled up into one. So let's talk a little bit to anybody that might be a VC or might want to learn a little bit more, but focus this on social media. So how should a VC actually be using social media to build an audience? And also what percentage of them do you think actually do? Everybody's different, right? Cause like in order to build an audience to be public facing, you have to have the personality for it. Cause a lot comes with it. As you build your audience, you now have a lot more eyeballs on you. You have to start to become more and more careful about what you do, what you tweet and what you talk about, like word, like what you do has impact for your audience to give context. In June, before I started this whole, like raising my own fun journey, I had 2,500 followers on Twitter. Today I have 25,000 in about seven, eight months. And with that, weird things have happened, right? Like I've met a lot of people, my DMs are crazy, but when I tweet, people pay attention and people notice to the point where a few weeks ago, I tweeted about a headline on a um, news outlet. And I, th I thought the headline was offensive. The editor in chief of that news outlet reached out to me on Twitter took down the tweet and then they actually redid the headline Man. because of what I tweeted. And that's a powerful thing yeah. and that's a great outcome, but that can also go the other way too, <laughs> right? If I say something wrong or I do something offensive, I know everybody sees it. I'm like, 
that sticks with you. And so with great power comes great responsibility. For sure. So Spider-Man is, is one of those things. But what percentage of VCs do it? So VC Twitter is a thing. There are quite a few VCs with followings. But and if you look at the whole industry, probably like 15, 20% do it within a broader space like a Twitter or something like that. Plenty of them have thought leadership, but there are a lot of VCs that are like, you're not going to know about, you're not going to read about, but who just go about their job to do the work. The advantage of doing the Twitter is that I get access to people and deals that you normally don't. And I, I get access to a lot of inbound. And for some VCs, they don't need that. All right. So it all depends on like how you do what you do. Uh, what, so yeah. what advice would you give to somebody, whether it's like a VC, you mentioned you have to watch what you post. So maybe for a VC or just other people, maybe people that have full-time jobs that know that their employer is probably going to see what they're doing online. What advice do you have for people to either get over not being scared to be yourself online and, and just hit publish? Or like, how can you be yourself, but stride that line and still be appropriate and, and correct in the way that you talk? First off, I'm apologize now. You may hear one of my dogs barking in the That's background. All good. No. COVID, Zoom, you know, that's the <laughs> that's world we live in. So what I would say, for me, I use social media very purposefully, right? Mm -hmm. I'm not, like, I'm using social media to build an audience, and I'm building an audience around what I do in startups, technologies, and supporting underrepresented founders. And so if you read my tweets, I only really tweet about four things, really, maybe five. So, like... I tweet about like thought leadership around things that that could help founders, like tidbits that founders could do, things that I've learned along the way, you know, advice. Those do really well. I, I tweet out advice and things about venture capital, trying to demystify venture capital, trying to give people insights to the way VC works. I tweet about my dog, which is people love pictures of dogs. I got a cute dog. Tweet about him. I tweet about my sports fandom. I love the Ravens. You'll catch me doing the tweet about the oh, Ravens, right? We got a lot to talk about. Then, it. Uh, I'm, I'm an NFL fan. Are you an NBA fan too? I am. I'm a, I'm a big NBA fan. Wizards. Um, and then I, I don't have a team. So okay. for, yeah. so I'm from Baltimore. Yeah. So anything Baltimore, Maryland, everything. But since I don't have a team in the NBA, I just follow all the top players. Nice. Like. You know, I can watch just about any game and there's a player that I'm excited right. to watch. And so I tweet about sports and then I tweet a little bit about my own vulnerabilities. So like within that, as a VC, I still have to pitch people to raise money for my fund. So if I had a bad day or I bombed the pitch, I can talk about that. If I missed a meeting because I was having issues with Zoom, I can talk about that. If I'm having a rough day, I can mention that because that allows people to see a bit of a human side of me and also get a chance to feel like they know a little bit about me. Here's the secret in all that. Of the five things I mentioned, while I'm now giving you advice, I'm now supporting you, I'm also engaging so as people like respond, like I, I'm, I respond to them. And then I tell you a little bit, I show you my dog and my sports, and then I tell you a little bit about my vulnerabilities to show you I'm a real person. It gives you a chance to get a sense of you get to know me, or you get to see my journey, you get to be a part of it. But at no point did I ever actually tell you anything about me. You really know very little about me. I do a lot of meetings, that I'm in VC. I like sports and the dog, but you don't really know much about me, but you feel like you do. And that's, the, and that's one of the critical pieces to building an audience. 
it's allowing people to feel connected to you, which is why sharing your vulnerabilities is a bit of a, it's a plus side, right? Showing that you're real. Like I did a tweet a while back saying with all these back-to-back -back Zooms, I never have time for a bathroom break. That's why I appreciate every now and then when somebody skips out on the meeting. Everybody in these days can resonate with that. Like they're like, yeah, that's me too. Like I do that too. Like that they can feel that connection. And that's a simple thing. That's like a tongue in cheek, but it allows for there to be like a touch point of he's a real person. But they don't know anything about my actual personal life, right? And so I, you can build an audience just being very, be mindful about what you're talking about. And also I have a background. I used to work for the federal government, right? I was a government contractor and I used to work for the DOD. So like when it comes to like security measures and like telling too much about yourself on the internet, I'm already like not there for that. I'm able to give people enough to make them feel something. And, and that's what it comes down to. Can you make people feel that connection? Yeah. And when I talk to somebody like yourself, I think it, it really stands out that sure. You've got 25 K followers. That's nice. And most people will come onto your profile and they'll focus on that number and they'll be like, Hey, how'd you get 25 K followers? That's crazy. What you're saying. And I think what's much more important is how many of those people care about you in some way that would come back on a regular basis for you like how many people like I, i've mentioned this before your audience isn't your follower count it's the people that'll show up for you and you, you've got people that will show up for you and maybe not every tweet's a hit sometimes it, it doesn't apply to everybody but you could do something as simple as talking about your dog and if people are there to show up for you and that resonates with them it could be viral. It could not be. It doesn't really matter, but that's how you use it. And I think that there's so few people that understand the importance of true engagement. And I definitely want to come back to the engagement part. But before we get too far down the line, just chronologically here, I want to build the foundation of your audience. And so I, I want to start with like your niche or your target audience itself. Your, your clear focus here with like rare breed and with your own content, you really, you'll, you'll try to reach anybody to help out, but you're trying to specifically reach underrepresented founders, whether that be underrepresented by location or by technology or by race or by gender or whatever it may be. That's where you shine. When did it become obvious that you had found that audience or that calling? I don't know if it was ever obvious because it's just natural. Everything I do is just natural to who I am because I was an underrepresented founder. Like I started my first company in 2010. There wasn't a whole lot of people talking about black people doing startups in 2010, right? It's just, it wasn't a thing. So this has been my career, right? When I started my career as a developer, as a software engineer, I started working for the federal government in 2006. Every office I've ever worked in, I was the only black guy. Yeah. Right? And so like, I'm only tweeting and supporting people, which this is my life. This is my experience. So like, I'm only talking to you through like, the things that I've done and things I care about, because this is who I am. And so that's what also allows everything I do to be so authentic, because it is real. There is no pandering. This is just it. And some of the stuff I put out can be a little raw and straightforward, but because it doesn't help me to sugarcoat sure, things. Yeah. Like me sugarcoating anything doesn't help you. And so that's why it's important to me. And so I just do that because that's what's come natural. And so my audience just like naturally reflects that. Yeah, I think... There, there are a lot of people caught up on, I don't know if I should share this thing because it seems super obvious. Like people are just going to look at it and say, everybody knows that, duh. What you're basically saying is your real experiences, no matter how basic or obvious or whatever they are to you, like there are so many people that have not had those experiences. I have not had that experience that you've had for sure. I think that's clear. Like me, my, my life has been different and I, it is 
em- empirical. It's so important that I hear the different aspects of what other people are going through. And maybe it's obvious to you because you lived it. It's not obvious to me. And so like for the people listening in here that are like, well, I don't know if anyone's going to care about my story. You may not have a huge audience up front that's going to care about it, but it's not as obvious to, to others as you may think. Like we have a lot of shared experiences, but they're not the same for sure. I'm sure that you and I have a ton of things in common. I already know we both like sports now. I know we both like money. I know we're both on this podcast, <laughs> but there are so many things that you could teach me that I've never experienced and may never experience. And that's so important. And vice versa. There's so many things you could teach me. And so, and that's part of it. And that was also one of the things I had to like, I used to overthink my tweets and like really consider what I would say. Cause I'd be like most people know this, or I don't know if this is helpful. And I just got past that one, because if you're going to build an audience, a majority of my audience is Twitter. So that's why that's where the conversation's framing. But if you're going to build an audience in Twitter, one of the things you have to do is consistent. It's like a daily thing, right? You're going to tweet three to eight times a day. There's a tweet that you're putting out yourself or you're doing a comment or retweeting something else from somebody else. And so when you retweet from somebody else, you want to quote tweet it so you can give your own perspective, that kind of thing. And so what I got used to is like throughout the day, we all have these things that pop up into our heads about our day that are like what we do, right? Oh, you know, that meeting was stupid. I wish this hadn't happened. Or why does leadership do X, Y, Z? It'd be better if we do this. Like we think these things in our head, just tweet it. You'd be surprised what people are going to gravitate to. And you can, ne- you can almost never tell what's going to be viral and what's Absolutely. not. Like you can once you get to a certain size. But as you're building your audience, you don't know what thing you're going to put out that's going to be the hit. I've done long form threads where I give like great information. I'm like, oh, this is going to be a hit. And like 80 people read it. And then I put out like this one, then I put out this quote about, yeah, I can't find time to go to the bathroom when I'm back to back meetings. And I get like 350 likes. No, but like you just got to keep doing it because there will be one. Yeah, for sure. You just got to put in the reps. So uh, that applies a lot to original content. But then going back to the engagement side, which you're very heavy into, you mentioned you try to respond to everyone that you can. I would love to just hear what basically what your engagement strategy actually is on Twitter. Do you have something written down or clear in your head? Like I'm going to I'm going to respond to every single person this is how i'm going to treat dms like how do you prefer to connect with people on twitter i try to i try my best to respond to most comments now and for now i don't know how long that'll be but that's just not sustainable what i'm learning as my audience grows that you hit a point where it's just it's impossible to keep up with it i try to respond to dms where i can i try to respond to as many comments I just also know at this point, I can't get to everything because also I have tons of emails. I get tons of all kinds of ways for people to connect with me. So I just try to engage as much as I can so that people know that I do engage so that I'm, I am here. So I don't have any like standard thing in my head. Like it just, it just kind of flows as the day goes by. The one thing I do, and this is probably unique to Twitter is at this point, I no longer engage with my timeline. I actually don't read my timeline. I only read my notifications. Like at some point your audience gets large enough where you can just interact with your notifications and like, that's it. Because like, I only have so much time in a day. I can engage and go through my notifications and and, and respond to people, but I don't, I don't interact with my timeline unless I want to tweet something, but I haven't thought of anything good I wanted to. I can go through my timeline and I'll find within two to three minutes, somebody saying something I can like riff off of. And that's a good jumping point. And I use my timeline as just like a starting place for ideas not for content or, or news. I just, I stick to my, to my notifications. Cause like, 
I just don't yeah, have time. It definitely shifts over time that your whole perspective on it, the bigger you get, like you're just more into the notifications folder than anything else. I'm sure that the way that pe other people engage with you the most is probably through DMs, like pitching you all the time or through email pitching you. So let's dive into it a little bit for the audience. When somebody pitches you, how far into the pitch do you usually know if it's worth exploring more? It depends because every founder is different. So if it's a more seasoned founder, somebody who's pitched before knows how to pitch, I can figure out fairly quickly because they're going to hit all the high notes. If it's somebody who's new to this, hasn't pitched before, I might have to get through like a whole 25, 30 minutes before I, I recognize what they're doing and how valuable it could be if I'm interested or not. The easiest way to get me interested is when you email me or DM me is just show me all your, send me your metrics. Mm -hmm. And then send me the metrics that affect your bottom line, right? This is how many customers we have. This is how we've been growing month over month. This is how revenue's been growing month over month. This is our business model. Those kind of things will, will resonate with me right away and it's easier for me to pick up. Or dive into what makes what you're doing unique. If you're creating a product in an industry that had any disruption in forever, then cool. We're investing in a company called Thousandfell. They make recyclable sneakers. So they make sneakers that are made for everyday wear and when you're done, you send them back and they send you twenty five. They send you $20 back and then they recycle them, clean them up and turn them into new sneakers. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Do you spend more time than investing in companies that kind of already have some kind of revenue right now? Or do you ever invest in companies that are brand new that are like not even built yet? The majority of the companies I work with are going to be, have some kind of traction, right? They're going to have a product, have some customers. But on rare occasions, we will invest in companies that are pre-product and pre-revenue. The rare occasions, and there's usually the occasion of an exceptional founder or an exceptional strategy or an exceptional product, but it happens, right? But generally speaking, most companies are going to have something already. Is there, between the DM and the email or sending you an invite to meet on Zoom or whatever, is there one particular format that really works for you? Just percentage-wise, what are you most likely to indulge and say yes to? Uh, more if it comes through DM, comes through email, comes through something else. No, it's all about it's about even across the board. It's about which ones I have the time and actually get to. Because here's the thing, right? I have no problem taking cold emails and cold DMs, but just because I'm willing to take them, doesn't mean I get a chance to get to them all, right? Like within a given day, I'll get anywhere from like 35 to 75 emails i'll get 25 to 40 dos right like i only get to so many of them it's just like the ones that i get to if it's interesting it's interesting there's no real specific breakdown i will say if you dm me i'm more likely to see it if i follow you and if you want me to follow you like a bunch of my stuff and have me keep seeing your picture pop up when i'm looking at my notifications i'll eventually hit follow or respond to something that i put up and if you respond to enough things and i keep seeing your picture i'll follow like it's just a natural thing yep. but yeah there's no real magical breakdown this has been super helpful for me and i'm sure for a lot of people here so as, as we wrap up here i just want to ask you one final unrelated question then we'll wrap up one thing that i really like asking founders and creators is What's something within your daily routine that you just have to do all the time, but you don't actually think you're very good at it? Administrative work. <laughs> doing yeah. administrative work. Like after a meeting, having to put in all the notes and doing all the follow-up and all that extra stuff. That's yeah, I do that all the time. That's like the majority of my work of my day. 
I'm, I'm not good at it. I, like, I hate doing it. But it's just the job. Yeah, but it's the same for like doctors and lawyers and everything. You think these jobs are cool, and then you realize 85% is paperwork. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. What Mac, thank you so much for coming on here. Do you have any parting words for us, words of wisdom, or anything else that you want to re-promote or promote for the first time? If you haven't already done it, go to rarebreed.vc. If you're an accredited investor and want to be an LP in our fund, click the button to become an LP. Appreciate it. In general, though, for everybody, when you think about building your audience, don't overthink it. And remember, everybody has a specialty in something, right? You have something that people want to know about, want to learn about, and you can speak about it authentically. When I was uh, growing up, my first job was working at a crab shack. I know more about crabs and seafood and how to cook it than you could imagine. And I could very easily build an audience around that because people... People just want to know things. People are looking for information. And if you have the ability to give people information, whether it's about VC and startups or what's the best way to cook crabs, like people will listen. So share what you have to share. Everybody has knowledge they can impart in the world. Awesome. Thank you for the parting words and thanks for coming on, Mac. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to How I Built My Audience. If you found something noteworthy or interesting in this episode, remember to subscribe wherever you get your podcast. And hey, share it with a friend.